An idea born out of Monday morning chats at the coffee machine. In this series, we chat to our guests about their going out experiences and how it shaped them. Join us, Pippa and Georgia, team members at Skiddle who love going out and miss chatting about it. Welcome to episode two. We've got Cheddar Gorgeous in the spotlight um, and what an amazing human being she is. Yeah, we chatted to her about growing up in Birmingham, going on her first nights out. And how amazing was it to hear like about her first nights out and how that community was so kind of responsible for like shaping the next generation of queer people. Yeah, yeah. And also how that's kind of led into her career and also yeah, into and- like performances now and how we definitely need that kind of level of community in light of everything that's going on totally hearing how much she misses it made me so nostalgic yeah i want to get back to that clubbing atmosphere soon yeah so enjoy here she is so today we're joined by the amazing cheddar gorgeous on the going out podcast welcome hello (laughs) hi how are you we're good thank you how are you yeah, very well. All good. All, all things considered. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, she's doing all right. The, the ship's steady in the night, dear. Yes. You know? Yeah, you and need a little clause in 2020, don't we? Yeah, we do. Like, like a bit good, of a disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> um, where are you joining us from today? I am sat in my studio apartment in the centre of Manchester. Lovely. Ooh. How yes. is Manchester today? Um, I... Oh, well, it's Manchester, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, grey. it's... Um, Again, come a disclaimer. <laughs> grey. You know, I like grey. I wear grey a lot of the time. I think grey is massively underrated. And I'm like, I think it's got a certain moodiness to it, Manchester, that's quite appealing. Yeah, that's, totally. a, that's a great way of saying it, I think. Yeah. Um, An edge, grit. Grit, that's yeah, what we yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nightlife. Yes, definitely. Um, We would love to chat to you really about your going out experiences. Um, I'm familiar with you personally from the amazing Homo Block video that you did. Um, Obviously, Skiddle sold tickets with Homo Block and for Homo Electric. Um, And I just remember seeing that video and being like completely wowed. And I'm like, I really want to go to this event. Um, So... Yeah, I think we were just really keen to get you on to chat more about your own personal experiences. Um, and being from Birmingham. Um, Correct. Yeah, and how, how was that? And when did you first start going out? And what was that like? How old were you? Oh, Where were you God. going? Well, I think my life has been bound up with going out for such a very long time. I think like like a lot of queer people, um, it, the, the kind of the, the nightclub and the bar and the cabaret um, is often where you find people whom you're able to relate to um, yeah. around that aspect of your life. I think in the UK, we're a little bit different from in the US and our gay scenes very much developed around pubs and clubs and bars. And so my earliest memories of going out were the first times that I kind of snuck off to a gay club. Um but uh, God, in the, the early, early years when I used to go out, I remember going out before I was supposed to be going out, yeah. like a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember going. Podcast, yeah. People are like, yeah. Are you about yeah. 16? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And like, certainly I'd been to bars and clubs before, like with, with my sister, um, but started going out properly probably around the age of 17 probably when I went to college and I remember but I I, I did it in 
I did it in such a way that was actually quite quite good at two shoes, quite well behaved. Yeah. But, um, so first of all, I was very cheap. So I would go to the Nightingale Club and it would be uh, three pounds in on the door if you got there before 11.30. So I'd go in at three pounds and then I'd buy, um, it was half price drinks as well before 11.30. So I remember I used to buy like a shot of tequila uh, which in those days was like two quid or something um, and then I'd get like a bottle of water and that'd be me I'd be set the night then and it was all just really about going out and dancing and meeting yeah. people but I remember I remember one of the first times I went out was with a group of friends from college and my parents are wonderful very responsible amazing people um and also very understanding of what it is to be young and uh, but to, to cut a long story short i went out without them really knowing where i was going or what i was up to um and i remember one of the very first times i went out was with a group of friends and then afterwards i was meant to be being dropped home and what actually happened was that the person who was meant to be dropping me home ended up drinking. And so I know, controversial. Yeah. Bear in mind, this is in the 1800s. The probably weren't <laughs> that sort of thing back then. But um, the person didn't, didn't drive. And so what we did was we went and um, me being however old I was at that point, we went and we rested in the car and slept in the car but of course the plan was just to sleep for a little bit and then get up and like you know he drank earlier in the evening it was all going to be very responsible but what actually happened was that at 4am in the morning (laughs) (laughs) I got a phone call on my mobile you know when mobile phones were like bricks yeah you (laughs) You pulled it out Nokia 3310 absolutely you put it in a trailer in the back it wasn't like you carried around in your pocket and so I remember I got this phone call. It was my mother on the other end of the phone, and oh, she was no. literally in a panic. Where are you? Where, who are you with? What's happening? Why aren't you home? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, they drove into town. My mum, my dad, and my sister all drove into town together, and they picked me up from this car park in the middle of it. And it was genuinely innocent. There was nothing untoward going on. It was, like, completely innocent. But I can't imagine what they must have thought at oh. the time. And oh. so... They they um they sat me down. I remember they sat me down when I got my mum sat me down. She was she said to me, "I don't care where you're going, I don't care who you're with, but you're going to tell me where you are, yeah, and you're going to tell me what you're doing, and if you if you want to go out, your dad will pick you up at two a.m. and you will be home." And you'll be home safely. And so that became like it was the most wonderful structure yeah. around going out for me as a young person because I was given my little moment of freedom. Yeah. Yeah, it had a boundary around it that made it really safe. So I didn't end up losing my head and going wild too much in in, in my early years. It was it was, I feel, the most responsible thing they could have done as parents. Yeah, because if they'd have if they'd have said lockdown on me, but I know it's a triggering word to use these days. <laughs> yeah, if they'd have said lockdown on me back in those days, then I probably would have flown off 
the handle you know what yeah. I mean I probably would have just gone and done whatever the hell I like because that's what young people do they're young yeah. they're stupid and they do whatever the hell they like um so having that little release was really really important because it allowed me to develop kind of the social connections I wanted to it allowed me to experience the nightlife yet at the same time um it gave me safety which I think is something that always needs to be considered and I, I'm a massive fan of the nightlife I am a huge believer in the nightlife and the role it plays within communities as moments of excess um moments of fun if we're talking about clubbing obviously there are lots of different ways people can go out and find those moments of excess and it varies for different people um but i think that along with that especially when drinking and all of that sort of stuff is involved i think it's really really important that we start to think about the kind of communities that builds and how we look after one another as part of that and i think i was introduced to that from a very early age i was very lucky when i first started going out i remember being exposed not only from that structure from my family but also i remember being exposed to older people within the scene who um, were educating me about safe sex, who were educating me about um, drugs misuse, who were edu- or drugs use, I should say. Misuse is a, a common misnomer, I think, with drugs to call it misuse, because often a lot of the time the effect that people want to get is, <laughs> is the effect that they're getting. So misuse is not an accurate description. <laughs> um, drugs use, safety around those sorts of things, safety around drinking, safety around um, relationships and appropriate relationships. And all of that I encountered in the early days of clubbing um and so i'm very thankful for those people i don't know any of them now but i'm very <laughs> yeah. thankful for the relationships i had when i first started going out that is such a nice and pleasant like introduction to your kind of like going out life um i think yeah, a lot so of the other conversations that we've had have been um more like um trying to sneak out where you can go rebelling. to the park rebelling yeah. and that's just so nice for your like introduction into like the going out so like um responsible and safe that's really yeah. really nice <laughs> I, I wonder whether there's an era thing there so i don't know the age of the people who you're speaking to yeah um but i think i was in a real nice sweet sweet spot i think for me like going out in the late 90s early noughties kind of time how old am i now i sometimes find it hard to remember <laughs> but um the decades genuinely get lost i can't remember whether something the year 2000 or the year 2010 yeah. um but yeah, so I think that that particular moment, particularly within the gay scene, and the gay scene is a particular thing, and particularly within Birmingham, because I certainly, I don't think I, I feel that it's necessarily there in the same way that it was. Um, it's certainly something I tried to um, push forward in the events that I create, because obviously I, I moved on for a bit of context for your, your viewers. I am a drag queen, and, um, you know, I moved from being a person who would go to, to who would be going out to being a person who started to run events and to kind of create their own own scenes and create their own happenings um, in nightclubs and in cabarets and in bars. Um, but I, I think certainly back then it was a particular moment. And within the gay, you have to remember for gay people, that was a moment that was post-AIDS, pre-PrEP, you know, post-AIDS yeah. crisis, you know. So actually for gay people, it was incredibly important. Safe sex was something. And so I remember being told by older gay men that you always wear a condom and you have to do this, you always do that. So actually, whilst it was about going out and celebrating and having a good time, yeah. because a lot of gay community activity has been organised around bars and clubs, that was the place where those kinds of socialising and interaction and instruction and mentorship also occurred. Um, and I don't, I don't know whether that same thing happens for 
uh, for heterosexual people when they go out because I'm not a heterosexual person. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Conversations there. Well, when I first started going out, I don't think older people would ever come and talk to me and try and educate me about what it's like. Um, Do you think it's more about you know the older people in that community not having that and wanting to wanting to support people? Yeah. Do do you think your parents? recognize that that you needed that level of support from people who who had lived in that kind of in that community and I think they recognized that I needed an outlet so at this point in my life I was dyeing my hair every single color under the sun (laughs) and I was dressing up at any opportunity I possibly could and so I think they recognized that I needed something that they were not able to provide yeah and that is a scary thing for a parent to face up to. But it is true because we all hit that point, don't we, where we need something that we can't. It's a small town boy reference. I don't know whether you know that song. Um, but, you know, the, the, the love that you need can never be found at home. Um, and that is no fault of um, our, our families sometimes. Sometimes it is fault of our families. But yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's no fault of our families yeah. because they can't provide you that adventure. Because yeah. they're there to be your security and safety, you know they're the, they're the, there to be the stability. Hopefully, if you're lucky yeah. to have that family in your life. Um, so yeah, but I, I think there is something particular about gay scenes in that respect, and the importance of clubbing and bars and stuff to to um, LGBT people because they are our our. Um, family homes to a certain extent at least they were for my generation i don't how it feels now i don't sometimes i don't feel that necessarily from the gay scene i think sometimes um uh, nowadays sometimes i feel like there isn't that energy but maybe that's because i am now the older person who is on the lookout and conscious and caring and you know yeah, goes into yeah. it with those eyes instead of the young person yeah, yeah so i hope that young people are encountering that these days but maybe they're not if they come to my nightclub, they will. <laughs> do you think that, like, um, gay clubs do have um, a more kind of approachable vibe? From my, my own experience of when I first started going out in Manchester, me and my friends would always go to the gay village because we, we thought that the vibe was better, the people were more kind of, I don't know, approachable, like there wasn't kind of a hostility in the, in the air. So I think it definitely does still exist, but I don't think it was as supportive as it was back when you were... <laughs> The Manchester Gay Village is a particular beast as well. So it has a, um, it's, it's, uh, has a lot of problems associated with it. Lots of issues around drugs, a lot of issues around drinking, a lot of issues around violence, um, uh, a lot of issues. For if we, if you ever want to talk about, you probably don't on this podcast want to talk about the darker stuff because obviously it's together. We won't want to shy away from it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, it can have its problems, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, are you all right if you're queer? Sorry, that's a really personal question, no. and you don't have to answer. No. no. Get out. No, I'm okay. <laughs> um, that's the end. <laughs> Well, it's, it's well known, isn't it, that I think a lot of the time heterosexually identifying women feel much safer in gay clubs because they don't have to deal with all the sleazy men. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. We, we have to deal with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they do, you know, they do happen. They do happen. Um, you know, there, there, there is that that kind of element as well there. But um, certainly not from my, my experience from me growing up. I was lucky. Um, and they do... I think clubs really do play that special role for the LGBT community. 
yeah. you know, and I think that the older, you know, whether you guys are even old enough to think about the nightclub as the church and that sort of thing, which is a very kind of 90s clubbing um kind of what era would you call that kind of like house music yeah. mm-hmm. um, idea of uh, the club being the communal place where you come together and around which um, both worship occurs, the connection with the divine, but also where communities are formed through that collective connection Um through celebration I mean it's not too dissimilar actually when you think about it from what other people call a church the idea of connection through music through dance dance and music are incredibly important parts of um human experience sometimes I think that we underestimate I'm probably jumping ahead in the things that you want to discuss I totally agree like we're going to touch more on homo block a little bit later but like going on that being part of that experience, I think, mm. and the crowd was so different from a normal, what I would consider, you know, the nights I would usually go on where I'd go see a DJ, even in the same venue with, you know, Mayfield Depot. And I, the audience was so, like, there was such a big range and the atmosphere was so positive mm. And there wasn't the, the hostility that we might find if we were to go on a Sorry. night out with, you know, sleazy men around or whatever you, mm-hmm. you we said earlier <laughs> i think the the age range was so different and even you know with the boys that are the men that went from where we work which are heterosexual they they even were like this was amazing like this was where a community came together whether you know you were kind of whatever you recognize yourself as i think Mm-hmm. everyone just came together for one experience mm. and it was just like mm. the atmosphere was electric yeah. and I've come away from that thinking I'm not I hope to have an experience like that again I hope they do mm. it again but my other nights out haven't compared I don't lift up mm. yeah and so, um, homo block was a very uh, homo block was a very special event and I think it was special because it, it combined two different streams and one was definitely distinctly queer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the guys from Homo Electric have worked with the gay community and the LGBT community, the queer community, whatever you call it, for a very long time. And they've run events, Homo Electric, within and for that community for a very, very long time. Um, and then the other side of the, the, the thing that they brought into that was the kind of very old school clubbing, you know, that kind of real warehouse style big scale event which uh, i am assuming your age here but i'm assuming you guys haven't really i mean even warehouse project as it is now isn't that you know what yeah. i mean it was it, you know that abandoned building kind of everyone just really really dancing and being immersed in the music and kind of it being about the music so those two elements coming together and i think what really made it special for us as a group of performers because the it it was wonderful um in that we all got a gig um which is yeah. very unusual but they yeah. literally they they brought in everyone and that's that's um very much the work of uh, a, a kind of i call him like a performance curator called joe spencer who uh, kind of works with a lot of bars and clubs uh, and he's a, a wonderful wonderful amazing guy like um uh, fat proud queer ginger bearded wonderful man um and you should definitely look up his stuff but he basically got 
all of the different sections of the kind of weird, wild, queer community. And we just got to have this moment where we were all on stage being collectively worshipped by the crowd. (laughs) And that's a wonderful experience for us. But he offered the crowd a glimpse to a world that I think that a lot of people don't ever get to connect with, which is the essence of nightlife and clubbing for me, which is about excess. It is about um, connecting with something that is beyond your mundane, everyday human experience. And to a certain extent, I have chosen a life where that's my life a lot of the time, which is, it's exhausting, but it can be really, really wonderful as well, but it can be exhausting. Particularly as I get older in my life. Um, but I think it was wonderful to see people have a taste of that. Yeah. Um, and understand that um, although, like, my, my life and queer people's lives and particularly trans people's lives, there are a lot of trans people on stage that night, uh, can be very difficult. Our um, struggle also has allowed us to connect with this community in which we can find freedom and joy for want of a better word. And so it was nice to be able to see those two worlds collide together. It was a very mixed crowd, yeah. but it, it was a very special event in how it allowed a, a connection and mutual celebration through the the spectacle of the party, Yeah, which is what it, the, spec, the spectacle of the party should be there for, you know, the, the, yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes we I can get lose that. About it. We, can, we can lose that a bit, like... yeah. I think you get kind of, I know, I probably just, I don't know, obviously I have artists that I listen to, I go to see the artists, but I don't I don't necessarily choose a night to try something new all the time. So I think it kind of opened my eyes up to, you know, I should ch- vary what I do, like see new things. I think you can get a bit repetitive, I think. It's even like sticking on your Spotify algorithm and only listening to that type of music. Like, yeah. We were saying like with our um, offices and working at home, we're listening. We're not listening to as many like different things. You're not hearing new things from your colleagues as much because you're not opening that conversation. Um, we're just stuck in our minds yeah. now. It's a very, it, it was a very Manchester event as well, I think. And it's that very, and what's what's interesting is like you said, there, there have certainly been other events there of a similar scale that have not captured that energy. Yeah. yeah. And the energy has an element of rebellion in it. Yeah. You know, really did have this element of like, fuck you. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. in like in a really friendly way. Yeah. <laughs> fuck you. Yeah. Um, with a kind of rejection of societal norms. And that was kind of, that was, um, I think, the intention with the video. That idea of discarding some of the really nasty shit that we we become immersed in, and particularly within our country at the moment, there is yeah. a some real divisive politics occurring, and so to be able to shed that and come together in a moment of celebration, that kind of that, and it was a very rebellious Mancunian spirit. It had that grit of the venue, but at the same time, that real kind of. Um, a sense, a feeling of edginess, risk and danger, even though there was no edginess, risk and danger. In fact, as the the security staff reported on the evening, it was one of their best evenings in terms of people causing trouble. There was was no issues on the night. Um, It was an incredibly safe environment. But it had that self-conscious edge, which I think makes a really, really good event. And 
if you compare it to other things that have been there, because um, the event can also just feel incredibly, uh, an event there can also feel incredibly stale and safe and boring. So it is that combination of the elements to make this kind of real moment of collective um, collective risk and excitement, yeah. you know. That's what it felt like, didn't it? Because yeah, everything incredible. was quite risque. You had trans people going around with no clothes on. You know, you had uh, crazy, like, amazingly proud fat people just, you know, displaying themselves and yeah. covering themselves and celebrating their beauty. I remember um, there was the cage in the main room that was, like, so cool. People were dancing in there. There was people walking around with, like, placards and, like, doing... It was just amazing. (laughs) Like, you were in the crowd, but it wasn't like you were all looking forward. You know, obviously, it was amazing. You had dancers on the stage and and everything, but... Mm. And performers, but like everything was going on all around you all at the same time, and it was like a bit of a feast yeah. for your eyes. I've, and I've I've worked in clubs for years, and I, I always think that the clubs that get it right um, are the clubs that don't only think about the big PA. So if you you know you can have the uh, the big main, you know, the, the the frontline act and all of that sort of stuff. But the clubs that are the best experiences are the ones where you round a corner and there's something weird happening, <laughs> and it's totally unexpected. Um, and the, when you're curating an event, to have with the, the trick is to get lots of small things in that kind of almost don't make sense together. Yeah, and allow them to happen because a club is a chaotic environment. You allow them to kind of like flow through a venue and have so literally as a person's moving through, they'll turn a corner and see one thing and then they'll see another thing. And that's what changes the perception of going to see a show to being immersed in something happening. And I think that's that's what makes the best experiences, doesn't it? When you actually yeah. feel you're involved and part of something, you're not just an audience member. Yeah. Because on a night out, you want to feel like you're the star. You know, it's great to go and see a, an amazing performer, but really your night out is about your story. Your night out is about the adventure you're creating with you and your friends. It's not about the amazing time that that person on stage is having. Yeah. You know, so and true. I think we need to <laughs> we need yeah. to break free of the the mold of the current mold of celebrity that we really really are obsessed with in our society and that current mold of celebrity is about they're special and we're not yeah yeah. and actually when you're in when you're in a good club you're special that's the point yeah and and like on a night out the all the funny stories that you talk about the next day are always the the little side things that happen if you go into the toilet and there's a dj on in there like that's the stuff you remember really and the stuff the drama that happened between you and your friends (laughs) you know how um got off with sandy in the loo or whatever (laughs) that's the stuff that gets them remembered because it, it is your story um and so the club is an environment in which you are the celebrity. You are the exciting thing that's happening. Your relationships are the soap opera, um, not whatever's going on with whoever's on stage at that particular moment or, you know, however much um, champagne they're drinking in the VIP area. You know, that, that stuff's the BS, really. Yeah, 100%. I think it'd be interesting to know um, your kind of transition into becoming a in a drag artist. I think, and what? Yeah. What? Who was your? Did you have an inspiration, or is it some way that you wanted to express yourself? Um, I mean, I've had a few. Like, there's been a lot of inspirations over my life in terms of drag. Um, but I remember that uh, D- Divine David, who's from Manchester, David Hoyle. Um, Taylor Mack, we had a huge amount of visitors um, from New York at one point because of an, an event called the, God, what's it called? Queer at North Arts Festival. 
So we used to have a lot of uh, really cool um, acts that would come over and kind of show us really strange alternative versions of drag. Um, and like I said, I've, I've been dressing up since I was... <laughs> 16, 17, but never, never in a way that I called drag. I would always dress up as monsters or fawns or like, you know, crazy, crazy things, um, which I think shows in my drag now. I don't really do very conventional looking yeah. drag. Um, so I've always had that, mm, oh, that kind of weird need to be seen, um, the weird need to, to maybe gain a little bit of attention. I'm just looking for love, really. I'm looking for love. But um, the, uh, I remember the particular moment that I started getting into doing my own events and working professionally as a drag queen. It was with Joe, actually. Um, Joe Spencer, we used to do something uh, called Tranarchy, which was an amazing um, kind of weird, crazy, crazy club intervention that happened back in the day. But I remember there was a nightclub, and still is a nightclub, actually, uh, a night called Bollocks, B-O-L-L-O-X, which is a a legendary Manchester night. And it was happening at a place uh, which was called called Legends, actually. There was a nightclub called Legends. It's now a – it got knocked down a few years ago and turned into an easy hotel or something like that. something awful yeah um but there was it was an amazing venue and uh an amazing strange weird started out as a bear club became kind of a drag club um and i remember when they knocked legends down bollocks kind of went into a and i was already kind of doing drag by this point this is around kind of 2011 2012 time um and so i was already doing bits and bobs with drag but it wasn't you know, I wasn't doing events and I wasn't doing it professionally. I was uh, working on a PhD, I think, at the time. Um, but the <laughs> just a casual. I was working on a PhD. Or something. I was working it's on a side my PhD. Wow. It, was, it was mine. I wasn't working on somebody else's. Um, but um, I remember when Legends closed, it felt like there was this weird vacuum. So there was a couple of. Um, there's, there's a whole kind of little network of things that started to happen. And we kind of had this resurgence of strange, weird, queer alt clubbing. Um, so there was a uh, drunk of Vogue, which was an absolutely amazing disco night. Um, there was off the hook, which was an amazing kind of hip hop R and B night that was happening. And they were all kind of queer focused. And then bollocks was kind of doing the occasional party, but they didn't really have a regular home yet. Um, and it was that, that moment where, there was lots of, it was like our little moment, our little exciting thing that was happening. There was nothing happening in the gay village. The gay village was almost like a, a, a bit of a cultural dead zone. Don't tell them that I said that, but it was, <laughs> it was served its purpose. It was a fun place to go out, but it, it, it wasn't, drag really wasn't an amazingly popular thing at that time. Uh, so there wasn't an interest in having drag as much there. There was kind of very traditional kind of British cabaret drag there, which was, is fab and still there and continues to this day. Um, but I, I, we started doing, it was me, my drag sister, and a flat and a DJ, um, realised that there were a lot of people going out to these alternative queer clubs and dressing up, but there was no places for them to perform um, and to try performance because drag queens are very territorial over their gigs. It's like a real, like, if you get a gig, you're like, you don't let no other bitch get near it yeah. because they steal it from you. And then you'll have no gig and then you'll be poor. Oh. Um, and so we... 
we decided to set up on a different model. So we started doing a regular monthly club night. We wanted to make it um, a sort of space where, where people were free to come and play and they could pitch and become involved in the theme each time. And we would select, we got people to pitch and we would select three new performers every single time. So we had then this, this big lineup and we were able to give them a little fee um, and that helped them and support them to, to bring their number to life. And for, I think we probably had like over 90 performers in a kind of five, we did like a five year run of wow. monthly parties. And we had about 90 different performers. I'd say for two thirds of those, it was their first time ever performing in drag. And of course that uh, it was a kind of weird mix of club and cabaret that we ended up creating. And of course, from that, because we were doing all this pitching and we were talking to a lot of performers and we were getting new people in that community formed. And I think um, it probably was one of the most special periods of, of my life yeah. um, because we had this crazy little creative hub that was churning out drag queens and yeah. helping people get up on stage and you know I was creating new content every single month and it was exhausting and uh, mind-blowing and, and joyful at the same time so yeah and then since then I kind of I, I do little bits and bobs here and there now I'm touring most of the time so I don't I don't on as many events as I used to. Where would you recommend um, listeners go for like the ultimate drag nights in the UK? What are some standouts? At the moment, nowhere. (laughs) Really? I think think it depends. The drag market is so very dominated by the RuPaul sphere at the moment. um, And those events are very different to what I know a, a drag club night to be. You know, so they are very focused on the star and the celebrity and the person who that audience has come to see their icon, their um, whatever it is that, that you would want to call it. Um, that is the, the focus is those those special people, the celebs. Um, and, you know, they, they do good shows, though. You know, they're good fun. And if if you are a fan, then they are amazing, amazing events. But for me, I'm much more interested in, in events like Homo Electric yeah. when that is happening again when homo block is happening again um i would head to those um and i would look up whatever the cool strange underground nights in your local town are because they'll be happening i promise you so there's an amazing night here in manchester which is a kind of alternative trans-led cabaret experience called creatures of catharsis um and they just did an amazing halloween show that was streamed um that i was part of actually um and that should be going up you look at bo azra and grace honest smith that should be going up i think they're they're selling it as like an art film um and that was a really cool weird strange experimental thing to see um and, and really enjoyable. So I would say always try and look up the small weird shit that's going on in yeah, places. That's the best. And, and yeah, and mix, but mix it up, mix it up with whatever the big, you know, and I think it's a great thing. Do you know if you're going to a city because your icon's on, and this is the thing, right? You know, you go, you've got your Saturday night, your Saturday night is you're going to go and see the Vivian Bagger and have an amazing night. And, and that's your, your drag plan. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So amazing. Wonderful. Have that in your diary. Book, book the Friday night and book the Sunday night as well and make a proper trip out of it and see what else is going on in the city. See what the local queens are advertising on their social media feeds. Don't just go with the mainstream flow. Go with all the flows because that 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 is how you get to see and experience a city. When I, when I go to, um, and I've travelled a lot 
I've traveled a lot all over the world, <laughs> darling, in my years as a performer. <laughs> um, but you, I, I, the things I like to do are I like to find a person who lives there locally and I like to find out where they're going to go. You know, where yeah, are you guys do going to go tonight? Do as the locals do. That's a good you know? tip, isn't it? Yeah, that's what you have to do. Go and meet some people. Go and find out where they're going. Look them up on the social media. Do your homework and make it happen in that way. Um, but still do your big event, you know, because that's what's drawing you to a place. Yeah. I think it's almost, I think people try, always try, up and, try and set up like, adversarial dichotomies with this sort of stuff you either go to the big show or you do the you know, the cool underground queer stuff I'm like go to both do both like, have fun if you've got if you have the dollar to go to both yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a really good tip for game. 2021 I feel like from personal experience I just want to jam-pack that calendar full of so many events next year to compensate for doing nothing yeah <laughs> you, you know what like I I think the the, the the learner from this experience that we're in at the moment in the COVID-19 uh, restrictions in 2020, I think the big learner is all about appreciating what you have. And I think um, because nightclubs, uh, they're the one thing that hasn't been allowed to happen since March. You know, they, we've had bars in various forms. We've had restaurants happen again. Yes, they haven't been the same and all of this stuff. But it's made you appreciate the importance of that kind of communion. Yeah. Um, and it's made you appreciate the importance of being face-to-face with people beyond that kind of communion. And I think there is some kind of... I'm not I'm not a, a spiritual person. I'm not a... I'm not very hippy-tippy. But there is something about energy resonance and the way that bodies react with one another that's really, really important. Um, and whether it's about electricity, whether it's about uh, the way that we read one another's bodies when we're face to face, or whether it's about the immersive interaction of the shared experience, um, not just in clubs, there is something special uh, about being in close proximity to other human beings. Yeah, so right. and that's what we need to keep hold of, and we we. I think we don't really understand the long-term health implications, mental health implications of our solitude at the moment. Um, but I think we will come to understand that. I think we're going to see a lot of people who may struggle even to go back out because there's been this kind of cloistering of our lives yeah. within ourselves. Um, but I, I think that hum, humans we're almost sold these alternatives like your zoom events and you know you know your your friday night parties and your streams and all that sort of stuff as if our entire lives can be mediated by these forms of technology and i think that that is a lie and i think it is a lie that is incredibly harmful to our ability to get along with one another because being on these forums in its very nature, the way it is mediated by certain forms of capitalism, it divides us and it is a divisive force in our life. And also it does not compare with, with, we, we spun this myth that somehow it is a replacement for yeah. these human activities. We cannot be allowed to continue to believe that this can be the future of humanity. And I think that's been one of my big fears from the start that, what happens is it moves from necessary restriction to new normal. And that's why I hated the term new normal, um, which was used a lot in in British politics and has been used a lot in British politics over the last year. Um, so I think the moment we can get back out there safely 
get back out there support your local clubs support your local performance support your events that are happening because if we don't we will lose them and the risk is already there that we've already lost a lot of events companies and events management people to this crisis it's the one neglected sector well i suppose the airline industry is another one but Mm. that's a that's a different question for humanity (laughs) isn't it the airline industry indeed i think (sighs) sorry i went deep there didn't i it was great to hear to be honest um you chatted earlier about um how the community how going out to events and being part of the community was so important to you growing up it seems it seems so wrong that you know young there. people don't have that mm. um, oh don't have that now that and feeling. i worry how it affect, affects affects not feeling. having those you know yeah. older people you know having those conversations with them like you had and but the, the feeling is primordial as well you know and i think you can relate like think about what a nightclub is think about what an event is um and you have that like proximity movement light um you know you had and darkness darkness is quite critically important to that you know i think the um and if you think about how humans have celebrated and gathered since the stone age you know if you look at look at stonehenge and what they talk about potentially stonehenge might have been used for the idea of gathering and there would have been torches and sconces and fires and bonfires and people dancing and rhythm and beats um that sort of stuff has been an important way that Human beings have connected for thousands of years. We can't um, trivialise that. And I think so often events and clubbing and and bars are trivialised. It's like this excess, it's this extra, it's this thing that humans don't really need. It's a treat. Um, And I'm like, your um, your life is lacking if you don't have those moments. And I'm not saying the nightclub is the only place you can get them. You can get it from your living room. If you have a gathering with your family and friends in your living room and you put on your reggae and you have a nice little dance around and that's what you do when you have all having a, a, a side or whatever, that's your thing, absolutely. Mm. But I think to not have that in our lives, um, that is that is seriously risky mm-hmm. um, for how we are able to connect with one another and the kind of communities we're able to form. Yeah, and especially at the moment when other people are kind of, we're seeing other people as danger, like like totally. just to associate strangers with a danger that you could potentially catch the virus. Hopefully <laughs> that doesn't jeopardise relationships with strangers in the future at these clubbing experiences. Yeah. Totally. And there, there are undoubtedly things to be learned about um, from this from this crisis, about, and, you know, this undoubtedly things to be learned about illness and disease and the way diseases are transmitted and um i mean and and i'm not going to get too political but it's it says something when events are cancelled before international travel is cancelled um and i think that that's never sat well with me that our ability to meet and commune with other human beings was placed under the rung of any particular industry and i'm not i'm not talking about meet in a large club environment i'm talking about the ability to meet in your own home with four of the friends um you know watch some telly together have a dance drink some wine um and do that kind of celebration was was placed below on the pecking order traveling between regions and between nations um that's peculiar that's that's this uh, that's and i'm not saying it was not necessary because 
we live in a society in which now, because of how far along we are, we live with a particular economic setup that requires certain things to happen in order to make the world function. Um, so absolutely, that may have been the way that it had to work. But it says a lot that that's how we've organised humanity, mm-hmm. not around the communal things that matter, but around the things that end up extracting wealth from us. Oh, I could get, isn't it? I mean, I've turned your lovely podcast about going out into a political statement. Also, sorry about oh, that. Oh, I'm just a drag queen. <laughs> so like with all this, so all this is going on in 2020, what, is it gonna how is it gonna change your year next year like are you gonna put on more shows of your own are you gonna go to more shows what like what have you learned and what are you gonna change next year I think depending on what we're allowed to do yeah I think it's made me a lot more focused on my my home community Mm -hmm. so it's made me a lot more focused on doing stuff for other performers around me like I've, I've spent the last five years of my life traveling uh, and going all over and I've been so lucky and I've had such a, an amazing wonderful experience in some of the things that I've been able to do um, and but it's made me a lot more focused on well, what's going on at home and made me realize how much I've lost touch with what's going on back home um, so maybe maybe there's a potential for me to start doing a regular event like locally to the ground here again I don't know um, it will depend on what we're allowed to do and what what work I get you know what I mean so (laughs) yeah um like all entertainers like I have to I have to go where the 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 gigs are Mm -hmm. you know so we'll see we'll see what happens but I hope so I've got I've got an idea for a new club night so oh that's um, exciting yeah so maybe I guess maybe who knows maybe you'll put it up on skittle yeah well I'm definitely coming along let's make it happen (laughs) let's make it it international darling you advertise darling I'll bring the draft (laughs) so touching on kind of your recent work I've seen that you did a digital performance with social convention what was what was kind of what was that about and what (laughs) you made my really bright cheery number about (laughs) stuck in a box with writing all over myself um yes um well i've been i've done quite a lot of digital engagement stuff actually um i think i i live by myself um and when that first lockdown happened i had a choice which was either um have a breakdown become addicted to something um or just get on with work and and deal with feeling miserable (laughs) so um so those first few weeks were really like they were dark but they were productive um and so I was I was making quite a lot of digital performances and I did along with the stuff with the social convention um I also did a um a couple of uh, I did something homo electric so I did a stream on United We Stream with homo electric where I provided five performances and I did a recital of Charlie Chaplin's great dictator speech which was he's, he's brilliant from homo block he's amazing so he just He'll call, like with the same with the other video that we did to advertise Homer Block, he just calls and he goes, so I've got this idea and I think that you should just do this. And it's like normally something really simple and you kind of go, oh, I don't think that's going to work. But you do it and then it really works. So he yeah. does kind of have like this real um, connection and this, his finger on the pulse with what's going to work. So I did um, a stream with them and then I did a, a three different 
cabaret shows where I was able to give micro, we like worked with funders to give micro commissions to local performers. Cause obviously local performers ended up with nothing. Yeah. Um, and so I spent a lot of time kind of mobilizing what I could to try and make stuff happen around that, which was really, really rewarding. And these kind of like cool little digital shows came out of it. So I was very grateful. But the um, social convention labs one um, is another micro, they're an amazing organization that's set up to help artists in times like this to find new ways of creating material and connecting with audiences so i got a micro micro commission from them to uh, make some digital drag because they'd seen some of the other stuff that i'd done because i'm a video editor by training as well i did an ma in visual anthropology so i was a documentary maker um i've had about 60 million lives (laughs) like seriously life's too short to only have one that's what i always say um so uh, they'd seen some of the stuff that i did and they were like do you want to do like amazing some drag performance drag performance and i was like yeah I'd really like to do a quite miserable number about being isolated and feeling restriction. And they were like, all right, then, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's what I ended up doing for them. So the number is, is, uh, you can see it on their YouTube. Uh, you can see a, a snippet of it on my on my Instagram. I will put the full full thing eventually. Um, but it's uh, me in a box, um, and uh, written over me are, are the words "I am," and I think it kind of it had like two little functions. This is the great thing about drag, right? So absolutely, it can be a fun and entertaining and exciting thing. But also, if you go and see the weird, queer, like strange drag, it can be dark and intense and deep and like really uh, can make you think of the world in a different way. And so that's the kind of drag that I embrace. And that's the kind of drag you should definitely seek out. Mm -hmm. But that number was about the obvious, the feeling of restriction, the feeling of being confined, um, the feeling of being alone, solitude. Um, But then... At the same time, I was interested in the way that we confine ourselves through certain ways of thinking about identity um, and the idea of being particular things, particularly in terms of sexuality and gender. So being a little bit self-critical of the way that I mobilise my own identities and how I sometimes think the way that identity is mobilised in that way actually ends up trapping us even more because it's the adoption, if you like, of the original violence of the category that pend um queer people in as either mad or criminal you know so it's that kind of weird extension of that that then became part and woven into the way that we secure our rights so i was really interested in in how you could show that in a punchy digital drag number (laughs) seriously sometimes i listen to myself talk and i'm like what are you on get a grip you put on paint on your face for god's sakes I thought put on it some was... heels and a wig have a good time for once you miserable fucker <laughs> am i allowed to swear or is that not allowed because oh, i've already yeah, sworn a yeah, lot yeah okay, um, great. we had a we... talk about it and we're like yeah, yeah we'll allow it <laughs> i mean we do so um but i i, I think it showed me like quite a different side to what the obvious kind of side of drag is i think yeah it was like another deep aspect yeah and i think how do you for example with the homo block video and the united we stream uh one that you did how do you come up with how you look where is it does it start from inspiration do they do they have a hand in what it is or um sometimes sometimes it comes from having an image of the look in your head and you're like i want to be a dinosaur whatever it is you want to be that day. It's a very like very childish play element to it. I want to be that. I want to be that person. I want to do that something with that person. 
Um, and for me, if I'm doing a performance, because of course not all drag is about stage performance. Some drag is just about being there and being yeah. the centre of people's relationships. You know, drag is an art of relationship, not of not of the stage. Um, and I think, uh, but if I'm developing a piece of stage performance, then normally it'll start with one element, which will either be the song or a, a clip of. Uh, an audio clip or something that's happened in the world, like an event or the look. And normally if you have one of those bits of the triangle, it's about connecting it together with the other bits to make a more complete story. I'm really into storytelling and storytelling is all about combining elements together. It's about having these different elements that then hang in relationship to one another to keep you moving in a flow. That's how storytelling works. Um, And so I'm really interested in how drag does that. So I think you've got one element. It's all about finding the other elements and hanging them together. Um, And normally, normally they kind of just hit off with one another, right? So it just sort of works. And so the, what was really nice about the, the club night we used to do was that it was themed. So you would always have a start point. So we did a, we did a, a we did one about God. We've done a Disney one. So, you know, you think, well, what's the Disney character I most want to embody? Uh, And then you relate that to, well, what song would they do? What song tells their story more? Um, uh, Or, you know, we did a a night that was all about murder and murder mystery. And so what's the most interesting serial killer I can think of to do a number? You know, take it to a completely different, more inappropriate angle. Yeah. because guess what, kids? Drag can be edgy. Um, (laughs) But, yes, it's all about finding those different elements that tell the story that you want to tell. I think drag, like any other art form, is just another way to tell a story. Yeah. What's been one of your favourite stories that you've told through drag? Oh, God. Oh, my God. That's a tough question. I did. <laughs> but do you want, I'll tell you what, I'll give you two, and you can cut out the one that you think's inappropriate. <laughs> no, we're not one. cutting out. If it's inappropriate, we'll keep it. Well, you can if you want to. Don't worry, I don't mind. I'll give you two, because sometimes the stuff that drag queens explain can be quite threatening it's a boundary pushing thing it's discussing things that make people feel uncomfortable um so uh, one of my 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 all-time favorite um story that i explore is queen elizabeth I. so um i love queen elizabeth I. i love her uh, the ambiguity of her gender and i love the fact she was a woman uh, one of the most powerful women in the world i love the i believe that she is one of the earliest examples of drag because she used costume makeup and performance to elevate her voice and her power Mm. and i think that that to me is the essence of a drag queen and possibly she's the original model for the theatrical version of the drag queen right i I really you really feel that that Mm. that period of time men on stage parading around dressed up as queens like that's where it all comes from so for me queen elizabeth the first i do i do an entire i do a set of routines that i do with her um but particularly kind of uh, around gender and around love because she's also this incredibly tragic character um well strength and tragedy and you know she she's amazing at the same time certainly the way she's portrayed in fiction um is that she perhaps longed for a more normal life in which she could have more mundane and intimate contact with yeah. with people whom she loved so uh, i love that story and the other one that i absolutely love and i've only ever got to perform it once because there are not many events that you could possibly uh you know, it's not. It's not one you. It's not I'm one that you take. It's not one that you take away like for a good. You know, for a good time to a, a city and tour. Um, I do a number as Eileen Wurinos. Do you know who Eileen Wurinos is? No. No. Uh, so Eileen Wurinos. Uh, there's a, a 
a fictionalized movie about her. There's also a documentary about her, uh, her final interviews as well, um, done with uh, Nick Broomfield. Um, so you can see a final interview with Nick Broomfield. But the, the the film Monster with Charlize Theron was a story of her. She was a female serial killer. Um, she was a sex worker who um, killed uh, the punters, basically. Um, and I do a, a performance as her, um, which kind of starts with her descent into killing and ends with um, her kind of final witness statement um, of why she became a killer. So it's pretty intense um, and it's not something I can, it's not something really that I do in a nightclub anymore um, because it involves, it involves guns. So she, <laughs> she shot people. So, um, and I think since, since um, the Orlando shooting, um, I've yeah. not been interested in, in pieces of performance that involve shooting. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, that's a uh, sensitivity that's occurred for me now. Because I think our, our sensitivities are always changing, but also our awarenesses yeah. of um, what other people will find sensitive is also always changing. And I'm always learning and I'm always growing in that sense. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, yeah, I just, I don't tend to do that one anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, I think that's all our conversational points we've yeah. just got one question for you that we're asking all our guests if you oh, could yes. put if you could pick anywhere and anyone to go out with this weekend if it oh, was a, a normal non, world a non-covid related world who and where mm. would it be um do you know what it would be bollocks at legends <laughs> in 2010 and it would be with my drag family oh amazing i like how you've um, put the year in there as well totally that's that's where we'd be um definitely bollocks 2010 with my uh with my drag um brothers and sisters so i'd have a grace Sonny smith uh uh anaphylactic licorice black um laurie uh geordie uh and beau blonde and miss blair <laughs> yeah all of the drags oh, all of the drags love Thanks that. To all of it Oh, well, well, thank you so much for joining the conversation. We've loved having me. you on the podcast. Yeah, I think yeah, it's been amazing to chat to you and learn a little bit more about your own personal experiences. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry, um, I waffled so much. Oh God, no! It was Love it was waffle. really insightful, <laughs> and we hope to come and see you next year. Yes. Oh yeah, let's make something happen. Let's right, thank you very you much. Too. We'll have Take a good day. day. Speak bye soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Going Out podcast with Skiddle. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe wherever you hear this podcast. Thank you.